Hello and welcome to Non-Breaking Space, which you can find online at nonbreakingspace.tv. Non-Breaking Space is a show where we'll seek out the best, brightest, and smartest people on the web and talk to them about how and why they do what they do. Your hosts are Christopher Schmidt and Dave McFarlane, two web designers, authors, and trainers who have a passion for sharing knowledge about the web. I'm Chris from Canada, a web designer and podcaster. Christopher and Dave have invited along to help push the record button and keep everyone on track here on Non-Breaking Space. Our guest for this episode is Dan Mall. Dan is an award-winning designer from Philadelphia, an enthralled husband and dad. He's the founder and design director at Superfriendly, co-founder of Typedia, and co-host of the Businessology Show, a podcast about the business of design and the design of business. Dan was formerly the design director at Big Spaceship, interactive director at Happy Cog, and a technical editor for A List Apart. He writes about design and other issues on Twitter and DanielMall.com. We had some Skype issues during this interview, so we apologize in advance for that. If Dan ever sounds disjointed or confused, just blame Skype. If Christopher or Dave sound confused, well, no comment. So at this time, I'll turn it over to Christopher and Dave and their conversation with Dan. Well, thanks, Chris. Hey, Dave, how's it going? Hi, Christopher. It's going pretty good. I'm downloading right now a virtual machine for IE mm-hmm. yeah. from Microsoft. I'm going to run it using, I've never done it, used VirtualBox. Have you used that from Oracle? No. No, I haven't heard that. So. so I'm going to see if my machine explodes. Okay. Hopefully not. So and this is from uh, Microsoft's new endeavor called uh, was it was it called uh, it's modern.ie. Right. And so the idea is is that to make it easier for testing older versions of IE, right? Yeah. So yeah. basically you download virtual machine, which is like a complete, you know, version of a Windows operating system, Vista, Win7, Win8. Mm-hmm. And um, you can get IE7, IE8, IE9, IE10. Mm. And using virtualization software for like the Mac, for example, you can use VirtualBox or um, uh, the other one, what is it, VMware Fusion. Right. Um, VirtualBox is free. Um, and then you can, you know, launch up, spin up these virtual machines and, and test your sites in supposedly, you know, real kind of as close as you can get to the real thing. Right, um, yeah. My experience with virtual machines is they're often really slow and they just right. kind of like chug and chug and I have to shut them down. So hopefully, right. you know, it'll work. But um, another thing they're offering, i.e. or Microsoft's offering, is they've got some deal with Browser Stack. Right, yeah. Get three months free testing. Yeah, and Browser Stack is, is great. I was I was on their beta program and it's uh, just great because like, whereas uh, Browser Stack, you can get like actually like a static version of a web page pretty much, I believe. Mm-hmm. Whereas uh, you you want the virtual machine in order to actually do the hover effects, rollover effects, and actually like see it might be actually slower, like like you said, but you actually get like that kind of interactivity that you can't get with browser stack. So, but although I think that browser stack is now it's it's live, like oh, you really? are you are interacting okay, so well, via your web. Oh, cool! Browser, you're actually like can test, you know. Okay. Uh, test stuff. Okay. Well, there you go. That's awesome. So it does cost money yeah it does so for three months but yeah i always thought it was kind of weird i heard about modern ie and and i gave my two cents uh when they were doing their their beta for modern.ie but i thought it was kind of weird because i thought it'd be better to put all their efforts into getting people off of the old ie rather than trying to support oh, asking us to support ie and that, that's to say like i'm not trying to diss microsoft's like everyone you know does this is microsoft or or an explorer it's just felt like um, you know, is this like their way of saying like we can't really get rid of old versions of IE, so let's make it easier for people to uh, 
to develop for older all these older browsers. Yeah. So, well, yeah. I don't think you can. I mean, you know, they basically, if you're using XP, which a lot of people do, IE eight is the limit. You're, right. You can't go further. So, right. you know, we still have to worry about IE eight for uh, you know probably a, a while right. longer. Yeah. Um, if you're building any kind of like big site that's going to have a large you know uh, audience of you know regular folk, not just techies. Yeah, definitely. But anyway, yeah. didn't, nobody's listened to hear me talk about this. <laughs> so let's bring on our guest, Dan. Dan Mall, welcome. Hi, guys. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Cool. We're honored that you're here. Totally. Yeah. Uh, our, one of our question, first questions that we ask uh, our guests here is, how did you get into the industry? Like, what, were, you know, like what, what was the path that led you into web design and, and mobile design now? So. Yeah. Uh, so I, I always love to draw when I was a kid and, and I liked doing that and so I figured uh, and web and, and I was primarily the animation part of it until I realized how terrible I was at it um, and luckily <laughs> the, I was really just awful at it um, so I'm still pretty awful uh, even though I try to pick it up every once in a while but luckily the the website of it kind of caught my interest and, and I figured I was a little bit better at that um, and it was easier for me to kind of pick that up and, and I, I found that I was a little bit more naturally talented at that so um, everything just sort of went from there uh, and I, I really pursued that a bit harder uh, and a bit more intensely and uh, and just sort of fell into it. Well, we'll back up to a little bit, like what made you want to get to animation? Well, I, I would always, um, I always used to read comic books and I, I would watch cartoons all the time and I just, I loved the ability to to kind of tell stories, um, and, and I don't I didn't know if it was that full fledged when I was younger, um, but I just loved the art form that sort of being able to do things that weren't possible in real life. You know, just watching sort of Roadrunner run off a cliff and just suspend in midair uh, for a few seconds before falling down, or I guess that was Wally e. Coyote. Um, you know, just <laughs> seeing those kinds of things happen, I thought were were a great way to. Um, you know, in retrospect, just sort of just like bring joy to people's lives. Like I loved laughing at those things. I loved um, just kind of getting enjoyment from that. And I thought uh, animation and art and cartoons and things like that were, were just a really good medium for doing that. So I think, you know, none of that was, was as full-fleshed in my mind when, when it happened, uh, you know, at the time when I was younger. Right. Um, but reflecting back on it, I think that's what I enjoyed about it. Right. And, um, and so did you, like how far did you get into animation before you just realized like, and uh, like, did you like make animation shorts at all, or did you like? I tried. <laughs> I tried to. So I failed a, a lot of classes um, in, in animation and in in modeling. Um, okay. Through a whole full full four year study in in doing it, and um, I was in some classes. I was pretty lucky to sort of fool my professors into letting me do web stuff that 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 faked three D. Like I remember one of my classes. Uh, it was about. It's just about timing, and it was about animation, um, and we were using 3D Studio Max, which I was just awful at. I just couldn't get <laughs> the, the gist of the program, um, and I convinced them to let me use Flash instead uh, by using a plugin called Swift 3D at the time, which let you right. do 3D vector art in Flash. And because I right. knew Flash better, I just sort of like weaseled my way into saying like, "Oh, well, let me do my final project in in Flash rather than 3D Studio Max." So everybody else did their final projects in 3D Studio Max, and was awesome. Mm -hmm. And that's this little dinky like flash animation. So I, I, I sort of chipped my myself out of a, a true um, animation education, um, but I but by weaseling my way into the web stuff. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, um, we had some people do animation in my uh, design program, and I just don't have the patience for animation. It just it takes so long to just to do like just to do one you know just to do one scene. It takes forever, and uh, man, so. 
you have, you have my sympathies for <laughs> for and my uh, my admiration for sticking it with it for that long. So. Thanks. So. <laughs> so like so 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 you basically so it sounds like you were like getting yourself into uh, web design by way of you know Flash and all that. So that so were you just um, did you start out doing Flash with your web design or did you just were you think about like HTML and the standards and stuff like that? Were you ever part of that big the battle? Yeah, I mean, I, I totally remember it. I started doing Flash work um, probably, I guess it was like 1999 or something like that. I think it was Flash Flash 2 or Flash 3. So at the same time, I got illegal copies of Flash 2 and then I think Photoshop 3 or something like that. I think it was it was either just before or just after Layers got into Photoshop. Wow. Um, and, and I remember getting into to those two things, and I could, I could animate really well in Flash, which I think was part of part of what led me to wanting to pursue animation as a career was flash animation was interesting and easy to me. So I liked doing that. Um, and then I realized that if I wanted to get this on the web, I didn't know how to do that. So I could, you know, I could make an animation flash and I could publish it and I could export it. And I knew there was an option to say like, you know, publish to HTML page. Um, and I was like, well, that's, you know, that's the only thing that I know about it. Um, and then as I started to look into it and, you know, viewing source on that HTML page that Flash would publish, yeah. I would, you know, I would look at it and, and not really understand what tags were or what was going on, but I would spend some time sort of deleting lines and saying, okay, well, I wonder what this does. Or, you know, just sort of like duplicating parts of it and go, okay, well, oh, my Flash file appeared twice on the page. So I kind of get is what's happening here. So my my HTML and standards kind of education was, was sort of backwards, you know, it was like through Flash and then figuring out like, how do I publish this stuff to the web? Oh, I have to get into an HTML page. Mm -hmm. And then once I figured out how to create an HTML page, it's, oh, how do I get this onto a server? Mm -hmm. um, so that was kind of my intro into how to get things from your computer onto the web. Right. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Yeah, because I, uh, I know a lot of Flash people who are just like, HTML is just a placeholder for the Flash, pretty much, which is like, yeah. yeah. That's exactly where I started. <laughs> cool. Uh, and so then, um, and how did you get you know further into the web design from the Flash? You you, you picked up uh, skills for HTML and so on. So from from that point on, where, how did how did that continue? Yeah. So so shortly after that, um, I think is when the first different first edition of uh, Jeffrey Zeldman's Designing with Web Standards came out. Mm. So I was reading that, um, and then at the same time, uh, or I guess shortly after that, I got an internship at a small studio outside of Philadelphia, uh, in in a little. A uh, little city called Conshohocken, um, and there the design team was just really, really incredible. Um, so I was working there two days a week, um, and the design team was just all these great rock stars, like um, you know Chris Cashdollar, who's the creative director of Happy Cog now. He was an art director there, and Jason Santa Maria was a designer there, and Rob Weikert was a designer there, and Kevin wow. Cornell was it was an, an art director and illustrator there, um, and April Donovan, who now runs you know, Blue Collar Agency, was there, and Andy. Shulman, who now runs the um, the motion department at Crispin Porter, was there, and he was doing animation stuff there. And so it was just all these amazing, amazing people that worked there. Uh, and so I basically just learned a lot of what I know from them, just kind of watching them and, and peeking over their shoulders mm -hmm. while I was an intern there, um, and just trying to absorb as much as I could there. Um, and so you know, just kind of being associated with those people and and working with them and being friends with them, um, I learned a ton from them about Flash and about HTML and about animation and standards and uh, and so I sort of, as the standards movement was gaining momentum, um, I was kind of right there learning from the people that were helping to shape it too. Um, so, so it was a really great education for me that was very hands-on. It was sort of apprenticeship model as yeah. opposed to just textbook learning or, or you know, formal education. Yeah. Um, so I had a lot of really, really good experience doing that. 
so and for your internship, like you said, it was like two days a week, and like, well, well how did they were they just had an open call for interns, and you just applied, and was it an interview process or? Yeah, I mean, it was it was uh, through the, an internship program at my school. Um, mm-hmm. So as part of my my the major, uh, it was just sort of like you know a list of internships that they regularly published, and so there was this one that was saying, you know, we need somebody to help out doing web stuff and doing some comps every once in a while. And I thought, well, that could be interesting. Uh, so I applied for it, um, and I had one interview, and it wasn't particularly intense or anything. They just wanted to know if. I had kind of a basic skill of Photoshop, and and um, it wasn't. I don't think they really expected much of of interns. Um, I remember I was two interns there, and I was really hungry to learn this stuff. So I would like take everything that 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 came at me, and I would just try to absorb it and and learn it. Um, and the other intern, you know, every time I would ask her, "Hey, what are you working on?" Um, they had given her like the business cards, and then they had a, a corner rounder, and so she was just rounding like a million business cards all. <laughs> so. Uh, yeah, that was. I mean, I think that was the sort of expectation of the internship. Um, I was just like, I'll take any crap, whatever comps they want me to make, whatever, however many JPEGs they need me to cut. You know, I'll I'll do that stuff. Um, so I got pretty lucky in being able to do that. Yeah. And so, like, for a internship, was that just like they would just, yeah, uh, it was like more like more Q and A as you were there, and then as, as you did do stuff, you had questions, you would, you know, do stuff like 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 how was, I guess like. Well, and the reason why I'm asking this is because, like, I've had interns, and you know, I know you discuss this on other shows about internships, and you know, and so like that. So, uh, if you were to do like an internship now that you know what you've done and and you've moved on, done some really awesome things, is like, like, how would you handle a ideally uh, an internship uh, situation, and what advice would you give for that? Sure. So, I, you know, I can kind of share with you the way that I, I do internships now. I have, I have. Uh, Two interns right now, um, and and I tend to teach the way that I like to learn. So the way that I learned, the way that it happened at my internships, were that um, everybody just sort of asked to see if you could rise to that. So I remember some of my first tasks were like, "Here's a Photoshop file. We need you to slice this up, right?" And like there were, that was at the time where kind of half the sites that we were building were just slice and dice tables. Mm. Uh, the other were, were like, hey, we could really experiment with this new thing called CSS and just see if we could build this site with, with CSS and without tables. So a lot, of mine, a lot of my internship tasks were like, hey, can you take this PSD and, you know, we've already built the slices for, for it. You know, can you just slice them up and make sure they, put them, they can get put back together easily? Um, and so that was part of it. And I was pretty good at that. You know, I was really good at sort of deconstructing and bringing something back together again because I had done that um, before I had like copies of Dreamweaver laying around. So I was, I was decent at that. Um, and, and then as I got kind of better at those kinds of tasks, then I would get kind of bigger projects. Like, okay, we have a, a CD-ROM mailer that we need to make. You know, can you use Director and make like an interface for the CD-ROM thing? And I'd be like, yeah, cool. Um, and then as I would sort of rise to certain challenges, there were some that I would get stuck on. And then that's the time where they would spend more time with me to teach me stuff. So I remember one of the first ones that I got stuck on was when the lead animator uh, took a vacation for two weeks. Uh, <laughs> And it was like, it's just like, you know, animate this candle for two seconds, like the flame should flicker and then it should transition into the, like the main area of the site. And I just couldn't do it. Like I just couldn't realistically get a candle. And I worked on it for two weeks while the animator was gone. And then when he came back, he was like, all right, did you finish this and get it all into the site? And I was like, I just couldn't do it. And he's like, you have two weeks to animate this candle. <laughs> but that was a place where I got stuck. So then he, he spent time with me just kind of showing me like, okay, here's, 
here's how you create the illusion of fire in, in a vector tool, right? And just kind of showed me the ropes on that. And then, you know, and then I got better and better projects a after that, you know, as I sort of learned more skills. So that's kind of the way that I, I treat it now. Um, you know, I have two, two um, interns, one is a designer, one is a developer. And for the designer, like we started with like really, really basic. I mean, he kind of knew Photoshop a little bit, but we mostly the basics of Photoshop where, you know, we, we'll get in and we'll talk about the difference between masks and clipping masks and vector shapes and bitmaps and, and things like that. Um, and then the first couple of weeks were just, you know, just sort of like tests almost like, okay, make that layer a clipping mask. And here we go. Oh crap, I forget how to make a clipping mask. So then he would spend like an hour Googling and trying to research and figure out how to, how to make a clipping mask. So that was like the first couple of weeks. It's like basic training. Um, after kind of got the hang of Photoshop and, and really felt a little bit more comfortable in it, then I would assign him certain tasks like, okay, I have to design a share widget for this site that we're working on. You know, can you take that this, and we'll sketch it. We'd sketch it out together um, and, and then he would sort of design that piece. And then I'd look at it and I'd say, okay, well, you've got, you know, your, your spacing on the left and right are even, but on the, on the top bottom seem, you know, uneven. So let's try and fix those things. Um, and so like as he got more, as he gets more experience, I give him kind of bigger tasks starting from, you know, make this little widget on the site all the way to, okay, make a page. Um, and then, you know, now to the point where I can kind of sections of a site and say, you know, you work on this section and I'll work on this section. Right. That's right. Yeah. So it's like a trust thing. Like, like as you've, as you show me that you can handle smaller projects, I'll give you bigger, bigger, bigger projects to go okay. and I'll help you along the way to make sure that you don't get lost. Exactly. Yep. Okay. Cool. Yeah. I think that's the, the best way to do it. And, um, so yeah, I definitely, definitely think about it. So in, you, you mentioned Photoshop and, um, just want to transition a little bit. Uh, yeah. So let me jump in cause uh, I was reading your blog, Dan, and it's excellent for a lot of information. Plus it's beautifully designed. Um, and you recently posted something about the post PSD era, um, post Photoshop era. And, um, maybe you could explain a little bit by what you meant by that. Uh, so, so my friend Brad Frost posted a great article called "The Post PSD Era" on his site, um, and it was a really great it was a really great sort of call to arms. Is like, you know, we're designing for lots of devices right now, and the old school model of, you know, here's a comp client, look at this and approve this because this is what your site is going to look like. Um, that's not exactly true anymore. It's more like this is kind of what some people are going to see of your site, uh, and and I think his his kind of what spurred me to write a, a complimentary piece to that was, um, one, I thought that there's, there's some stuff that was missing there that I wanted to fill in from my perspective. Uh, and the second thing is, is that Brad and I are working together on projects where I'm, I'm doing Photoshop work. So I'm like, come on, man, I'm doing Photoshop work. And you just said we're, we're PSDs. Uh, so there's a little bit of that in it too. Um, but <laughs> the, you know, the, the bigger piece there is, um, I think it's really, it's really difficult to sell a process when you're far along into into that process, so uh, you know I've I have a lot of experience at working with agencies. You know I've never worked in house. Most of my experience is with agencies or working you know client client service, uh, and um, and often what happens in agencies is that the sales process is completely different than the design process. So the sales team will sell you know the pro the process that they know you know the process that the agency is really good at which you know which typically has has been for websites it's okay well, we're going to show you some comps and then you're going to approve them and then we're going or we'll, we'll revise them for two rounds three rounds however many rounds um, and then once you've approved the final design we can take those psds and hand them off to the de the development team and the development team can build from those using those as a reference um, well that's really difficult to do with 
especially when you're doing projects that, that are responsive or, um, you know, where you're kind of accounting for multiple views because you might be creating 60 or 100 or 150 comps and that's just not efficient. <laughs> it's, it's just not efficient. The designers burn out. Um, it's really difficult to manage that. Um, and so, so kind of the point that I was trying to make was if you can convince your client in the sales process that this is the process you're going to use, um, then you don't have to encounter that headache later on in the line when you're, when you're presenting comps or when you're talking about the, the visual design of the site. Um, if you don't get them to agree to that or if they say in the sales process, you know, we really aren't, aren't ready for that, then that's a sign that like maybe you shouldn't take that project on because it's going to be a headache later on. Mm -hmm. Convince them of that in the sales process and if they seem excited about that, then they may be a really good client to work with and you've, already, you've sort of already eliminated um, a good percentage of the problems that you, you don't have to solve once you get into kind of a visual design phase. Right. So it's not so much that we're in a post-PSD or post-Photoshop era, it's more as we're in a post-comp era where it's just un, unrealistic to provide enough comps to cover all the devices that we're designing for. So it sounds like initially you have to do a lot of client education to sort of to sort of set up the expectations for how the process is going to going to work. How do you go about doing that when you meet a new client? Yeah, so so I have kind of a, a typical process that I use, but one thing that I really like is I like that all the clients that I work with are different. You know, I, that's that's one of the main things I really love about client service is that I have the opportunity to learn about different people and different businesses. Um, and so so I like kind of tailoring a process to who that client is. You know, different people react differently to things, to different conversations, and I like to kind of learn about them so that I know what I can do for them. So what it usually starts as is if I get an email from somebody either through a referral or through my website, um, I'll, I'll send them a list of questions and just say, you know, here's some things that I'm wondering about. Um, if you could take a look at these things and, uh, and just send me some responses that could prep me for, for having a phone call with you guys. And that's everything from you know, what kind of team is on their project to, you know, how much they want to spend on this. Um, it kind of preps me to have a conversation with them. I, I like really jumping on the phone with them um, very early on in the process because I, I feel like talking to someone, you get that kind of dynamic of, are we going to be able to have good conversations together or is this going to be really awkward? And I think that's a really big thing in deciding what kind of clients to work for. So, um, so a lot of those questions I think are designed to get at one thing is, um, are these people going to trust me? And how important is this project to them? How valuable is this project to them? Because that helps me in kind of figuring out what the process is going to be. And it also helps me in figuring out, you know, what is appropriate to charge them. Um, so, so I'll ask a question like, well, how much of your team is going to be devoted to this project if they're an organization? Um, they might say, well, our whole marketing team is going to be on this project. Or they might say, you know, well, we hired this new guy and he doesn't really have anything to do. Um, so we figured we could work on this. Um, and, you know, they might not come out and say that, but that kind of is the underlying tone. Well, the first one means the project is really important to them if, they're, if they have their whole marketing team on it. But if it's just some new guy that they didn't, you know, they wanted to fill his time with something, <laughs> pay attention to this project and probably means there are going to be some problems coming up, you know, and, and, that's, uh, that, and that, that's kind of a red flag to me is like how important is this project to them. Um, and it also helps me figure out kind of what, what to charge them. You know, if this project is really important to them, if they're going to make a lot of money from it, if it's important to their organization, then I think they should pay amply for that as well. Um, if it's some, like a side project for them, then that kind of gives me a cue that they're not going to want to spend much on it either. So um, you're talking about setting up expectations with your, with your clients. Um, how do you uh, set up expectations around deliverables? I mean, I think, you know, a lot of clients, they hire a designer and they think, they think about comps. They think that's, you know, basically, 
you will give them a comp. They will critique it. You will fix the comp and they will critique that. You know, how do you set the expectations for what the what kind of deliverables you're going to give to them as part of the process of designing a site? That's a that's a great question. Um, I think it depends on the client, right? Like the the clients that expect that are probably ones that have gone through web design processes before. Um, and those are typically kind of people that are big organizations that regularly redesign their site um, or people that work in maybe the, the, the technical or technology industry and are kind of used to that process. Uh, and then there are other clients that, you know, maybe are clients that are nonprofit or clients that, you know, finally saved enough money to do like a, the, the website redesign that they want to that really have no, no idea what to expect from process. Um, I, I don't know who said this. I, I remember hearing it either on a podcast or a conference, but um, I thought it was pretty true that, you know, no one is born to be a client. Like nobody learns how to, <laughs> you know, you don't go to school to be a client. You don't, uh, you, there's not like a book that you could read on like how to be a good client as far as I know. Um, and so I think there's, there's always education involved in that of, you know, people that have been clients before, how they can be better clients and how I can do a better service with them. Um, and so, so I think there's always education in that. And I just basically talk them through it. And, and you know, like I said, I like to tailor processes to them. Um, and so I, I find out, you know, what do you guys expect? Um, and if they say, well, we don't know. I say, well, this is the way that I think we could do this project that could be successful on both of our ends. And I just, I just try to get them to agree to that up front, you know, because if we can agree to that, then once we get to that, they're not going to be like, oh, well, we thought we, we were going to see something different. Um, and so I like to kind of just have those conversations up front that um, – Here's how we're going to set it up. So the way that I've been doing that uh, recently, especially with kind of these multi-device, multi-screen size projects, is that um, I try to get into HTML as soon as possible um, and try to kind of do work concurrently. So I remember when I was first building websites, uh, I didn't follow a waterfall process. I didn't like, okay, I'm going to design everything in Photoshop, and then when I'm done, then I'm going to hand this off to myself as a developer and then build site. You know, build a site. It would be like a little bit of Photoshop, a little bit of coding, a little bit of Photoshop, a little bit of coding. Um, and that's kind of the way that I like to work now. Um, so I like to, to make sure that they're okay with that. Uh, so I would say, you know, I want to get into HTML as soon as possible to figure out some things. And then I want to be in Photoshop also as soon as possible to figure out some things. So as long as they're okay with kind of a more organic process um, and ones that are about smaller sort of check-ins rather than big reveal presentations, um, those are that I've had the most success with and, and had the most fun with um, is like, you know, we'll do weekly check-ins, you know, rather than you give two weeks to go away and then come back and present three directions to you. I'd rather spend a week or a few days on one direction and then have, and then just say like this, you know, this is a line in the sand. You know, you tell me if which side we want to be on and if we should push this thing or we should push the type or the color or whatever. Um, and then we could morph that way uh, and spend more time on iteration rather than spending more time on a bunch of versions that I'm just going to throw away because they choose one of three. Yeah. And, and one of the tools that you've written about that you use to help explore kind of design, uh, design with your clients is this thing you you call element collages. Can you just uh, explain to people what an element collage is and, and how it's useful? Sure. So I'm really loving these. I'm, I, I don't know how I could do projects without them now. And even when I do personal projects, you know, like, you know, sometimes when you do a personal project, you kind of take shortcuts where you're like, eh, I'm just going to jump into the you know, the CMS and just build the CMS first, you know, because you're really your own client and you kind of know what to expect. Well, this is something that I use on personal projects now too, because one of the problems that I have when I'm designing full comps for a client is that I have to finish things that I'm not ready to finish. So like I might have a great idea for the header, but to finish the comp, I have to make the footer, which I don't, I haven't really thought about as much. 
Um, or sometimes I'm like, I have this great idea for a share widget or for, uh, you know, for the body copy or for pull quotes. Um, and, but you have to design the rest of it to show them the comp. So element collage is my way to kind of solve that problem for myself where I just want to design the pieces that I'm excited about and, and have no pressure to finish it. So what I do is I just set up a, a, a comp that's really long. I start in Photoshop and I, I create you know, 1280 by 6000. That's my, that's my comp size. Um, and then I'll draw guides to just kind of narrow in on, on 960 in the middle, but I'm sort of free to, to move about that and, and, and design outside of that. But I just got like having this kind of big canvas to work on. Um, and then I'll, I have a list that I, that I write when I start the project. And this is from the, the first day that I talk to the client. I'll just write down like, this is really interesting to me. Like, um, you know, so for, for one project that I'm working on, uh, I wrote like, you know, sharing is really interesting to me here. Um, a way to summarize articles is really interesting to see here. Um, a way to show breaking news is really interesting for me, like to explore. And so I'll write all these things. Um, and then when I get Photoshop, I'll just design those pieces. And I don't really worry about the size of them. I don't really worry about the position of them. I don't really have to worry about what comes before it or after it in the comp. I just want to design these pieces and get them out of my head as quickly as I can so that they're on paper and I can see them. Um, and so I'll just design all the pieces that I'm excited about, and that'll be my round one of element collages. Like, here are my best ideas that I'm really excited about that I want to show you. Um, and we're not going to worry about how they fit together yet, you know, because that, that can come later. We're not going to worry about uh, anything really other than, like, does this just kind of about, you know, the visceralness of it and about the, the general art direction. You know, does this feel right? You know, is the type here, are we, do we, does it feel like we're shouting or does it feel like we're whispering? You know, like, and those kinds of things that are really hard to talk about when people see a comp, when clients see a comp, because then they're like, oh, well, could we move up or could we change the thing? here you know they get so focused on details you know in, in my experience um so i like to show them just kind of big picture stuff like and if it doesn't feel good you know then we'll adjust that and then once everything feels good then we'll figure out how to put them together appropriately so you you kind of like say let's not worry about layout let's not worry about um you know a grid system or any of that let's just talk about what should a headline what might a headline look like what might uh, a portion of a form look like what might you know, a call to action look like that, that, that kind of thing. I mean, so that you're, you're literally taking pieces of a web page and showing what that piece of a web page would look like. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's the collage part of it. It's like, you know, when I, I like to make collages too, I, I, I put them on, I cover my sketchbook as a collage cause I don't like looking at the, just sort of like a plain black, uh, cover. Um, and so I just, it's like, Hey, I like this, this piece of text and I like this image and I cut them out and I paste them together. So to me, this is kind of like the Photoshop equivalent of that. Right. And so, I mean, it's similar and you've, you've, you know, tip your hat to Samantha Warren and her style tiles. Um, how, how do you, what's the difference between style tiles and, and your approach? I mean, I would say I think element collage is a is a type of style tile. Like you know, you can kind of call a style tile the umbrella term for anything that kind of describes an, an art direction um, mm -hmm. with to the specifics of of layout. Um, and so I I think an element collage is a type of style tile. Um, and the style tiles that Samantha has has come up with are, are really great in that they they kind of are there for the same purpose. Right? It's just a different way of of describing it. An element collage and a style tile. Um, the style tiles that I've seen. Um, either from Samantha or from other people that do them are, are just sort of like, you know, eight by 11 format and, and focusing on color and typography. And a lot of them that I've seen uh, are really focused on editorial. Um, 
you know, headlines, body copy, that kind of thing. Um, the element collages that I've made and that I've used um, times are not just for, for editorial, but are for, you know, microsites or for kind of more experiential pieces. Um, and so sometimes it's hard to just encompass everything in like a headline and body copy. So I want to, I want to just sort of have the option to, to present it in sort of a web type of format. You know, I present them in the browser too. You know, I give them a URL that I, that's just kind of a, an HTML page with a long JPEG embedded. Um, but it, you know, it's kind of feels like a web page as opposed to like a, like a deck. Um, and, and so that's what I really like about them. It's just, it's a bunch of pieces still feel kind of webby, um, but are, are a bit more specific than say, than overall. So it's the pieces of the site that encompass it as opposed to kind of the overarching brand stuff. Cool. And you've, um, I, I assume this is open to the public since you linked to it, uh, is the reading is fundamental project that you've been working on. And, um, you have examples of of, ele of element collages there, and and also kind of looks like you're sort of documented the process of your deliverables, or at least some of your deliverables to to your client. Yep, uh, I mean that project is is a ton of fun right now. Um, they're a really great client, and um, they just they what they do is they give books to kids who who've never had books. I mean, we're like what a great mission, uh, and and so they have this kind of spirit of like openness and. Um, you know, we just want to do good for the world uh, and how, however we can do that. Um, and so when we were talking about it internally with our team, you know, we just said like, well, what, what would it look like to, to design the site publicly? Uh, and when we mentioned it to them, they were like, that is so amazing. You know, we wanted to do this for a long time and this is the great opportunity to do that. Mm -hmm. Love if you guys kind of wrote this up and talked about it and got feedback from the community. And, you know, and for us, it was like, you know, it's kind of our way of releasing what we do to people too. Um, and then also being held accountable for it. You know, if we come up with something that sucks, you know, I kind of want people to say like, this is a horrible idea. You shouldn't be <laughs> a client, you know, because it's a way for me to learn about, okay, well, this kind of was a failure and, and I won't do this for another client. So um, I'm having a lot of fun doing that, just sort of writing about the process, helping, helping me to kind of think about it. You know, how do I think about it? Because I have to articulate it now. Um, and then hopefully it could be kind of a benefit to people that are following along as well. Yeah, it's super cool. And and for people listening, if you go to rif.superfriend.ly, um, that's where Dan's posted. Uh, I love this thing too. You call these design conversations, which is really sort of, I mean, sort of brings down um, the expectations and the tension. You know, when you say here's a, here's a design comp, you know, you're sort of setting a very high bar for what needs to be discussed a sort of finality around decisions that are going to be made with this notion of a design conversation, you're just sort of throwing things out. Hey, let's talk about this thing. And, you know, it's not necessarily saying we need to now make, you know, permanent and lasting decisions about the, the course of this project. Um, yeah, I, I think, I think reframing those as conversations is, is really been helpful to me. Uh, I, I just, I don't like the idea of sort of presenting and, or doing this big reveal um, because I think it, it's, it just doesn't really reflect what a, a good collaboration can do. Uh, and I think, you know, I, I've had times where I've presented to clients and I just feel like it's a battle. I feel like it's me versus them. It's like me sort of bearing my all and then them, you know, being really angry because they don't feel listened to or, be, or you know, luckily feeling really happy. And, you know, it just sets up this kind of weird dynamic that I like to try and avoid, you know, by phrasing them as conversations. Um, that's really what we do with them. You know, I say, okay, here's a link that we can look at and let's just discuss this. Um, I try to be pretty flexible about about the solutions that I'm that I'm showing them, um, I don't believe that there's one way to solve 
to solve problems. Uh, so I try to be, I try to not hold things sacred, even though sometimes I do. But, but I try I try not to as much as I can. And it also you know gives my clients who I I think are are sharp. You know, otherwise I don't. I don't try to work with them. You know, they're sharp. They know their content. They know their brand. It gives them the opportunity to sort of inform the things that I don't know about. You know, it's, it's just an, another way of learning about them and what I could do better for them. Um, I, I read this book recently by a guy named Blair Enns. Uh, it's called The Win Without Pitching Manifesto. And it's sort of like a, a call to arms for designers and agencies uh, to, to like kind of reposition the way that they do work to be better service providers. And one of the early points in that book is that, you know, we will reframe presentations as conversations because if, if you're, if you're not doing that, then you're still at odds with your client you're, you're not a partner to them and you're not doing a good job by them. So I like to kind of frame it that way. Um, and it just, it just sets a completely different tone for the work that we're going to do together as opposed to like, you know, we're going to go off and then you guys are going to go off and we're going to remain separate. And we've got this big sort of curtain in between us. And every now and again, we'll let you guys peek behind the curtain and see what we're working on. But otherwise, you know, the, the two shall never meet. Um, so I like to just try and eliminate that as much as possible. Yeah, yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Um, your uh, element collages and this the site where you're sort of um, highlighting the designs that you're creating, are all is this created in Photoshop? I noticed they're all PNG files. Do you yeah. create everything in Photoshop for this this part of the process? Yeah, I, I like to live in Photoshop as much as I can. Um, I'm not a big sketcher. I, I use my notebook mostly for writing and taking notes and then like doing very rough sketches, um, but then jumping into Photoshop as, as quickly as I can. I, I, tend, I think Photoshop is a way for me to be expressive and I'm really fast in it so I can get a lot of ideas out very quickly. Um, so I think a lot of people treat Photoshop as like, you know, the final, the gospel. Um, I treat it as like, I like to make big canvases whenever I can. Um, I like to design like 2000 by 2000 and then start there with a comp and then just put things all over that canvas uh, and then reassemble them later. So it's kind of my way of, of, of sketching uh, just in, in bitmap and vector format. Right, sure. One thing I want to talk about is, um, are you, you got me? Yep. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah, yeah. You know, one thing I want to talk about is like, um, and working with, and you know, now you're working more directly with clients, is that you, you were formerly uh, interactive director at Happy Cog and the design director at Big Spaceship, and they're working on uh, big projects, cool projects, and yeah, like really awesome people that work there. What was the, uh, the impetus to start your own company, Super Friendly? Uh, it was mostly that um, I wanted to be home more. Uh, I, I love working with agencies, and I, love, I loved Big Spaceship, and I loved Happy Cog, and um, you know, the people there are awesome and the clients there are great too. Um, but it's very easy when you love what you do to spend a lot of time doing that. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and I, you know, I have a one, one and a half year old daughter and I just really wanted to be home more. Um, and I didn't feel like it was very fair to try and, uh, try and draw that out at an, at, at an agency, you know, just say like, Hey guys, I want to work less, you know, but I still want the same amount of responsibility and, and, you know, all the stuff that all the, all the perks too. Um, so super friendly, starting super friendly was really just kind of an experiment for me and like, you know, how can I be home more and spend time with my wife and my daughter, uh, and, and still kind of be able to work for, for clients that I think are fun and exciting and, and do work that I love doing. And what kind of challenges did you uh, find when you were, you know, or did you find any challenges like when you were first starting out on your own? Um, well, this is the first time that I've never actually had somebody else paying me regularly. You know, I, I pay myself now and that's really, really different, you know, because um, the the sort of 
feast or famine thing kicks in where sometimes you get kind of a big lump sum of money and then you don't get a, um, a sum of money for a little while as opposed to like every two weeks you kind of have a regular a regular thing. So, you know, budgeting was really difficult and just kind of getting used to living that way is was very different. Um, so that was that was a big challenge and it's, it continues to be a challenge. There are some times where I'm like, yeah, we're rolling in money. And then there are other times where it's like, oh, man, it's this is really difficult. Um, and, and I think, you know, I sort of expected that as, as going out on my own and, and kind of knew that a bit. Um, but it's, it's also very different when you experience it for the first time um, and just how to accommodate that. So that was that was definitely one big challenge. And, and what do you like, you know, you said like you, one of the reasons is, you, you, you did because you went with spend time with the family and all that stuff. Like, but also you seem to have like more of a, I guess, propensity to love the business aspect of design. Yeah. Then was like, can you explain more about that? Yeah, sure. I, I don't know where it comes from or, or, you know, I'm not re- really sure, but I remember always being interested in like reading the statement of work. So we'd get a project and the first thing I would say is like, can I read the, the master services agreement or can I read the statement of work? Which is like a really weird question to ask people. Um, and I don't think a lot of designers like doing that, but I liked kind of knowing what, what we were getting into, you know, and I liked knowing that, um, you know, we're on the hook to deliver this in this way, or this is what they're expecting. So I guess I've always sort of been interested in that because I've, I've done that ever since I was an intern. Um, and so I, I really like kind of helping to create processes and frameworks and, um, and just figuring out what the best way is to work with people. Um, that's both internally, you know, wherever in-house or, or something or, or the people that I'm working with and also with clients. Um, and so I think it's something that I've always kind of geeked out about and, and having the opportunity to do that is really nice for me now. Um, you know, it's, it, it takes away from kind of the design portion, which I love, but more and more I'm realizing there are so many better designers than me. And, uh, and I'm, I think I'm liking it less and less because of that. I just sort of spending time in Photoshop, even though I have, you know, these sort of recharge boosts every, every once in a while where I design something that I'm very proud of. Um, but I also have this sort of affinity for, for the business side of it for, you know, how do we bill more efficiently and how do we, you know, how do I use my time more efficiently and how do I, do a better job of making clients happy and getting them to trust me. So I really like that aspect of it as well. So, so how are you, how are you going about finding ways to be more efficient? Like, are there, is there a tool or a hack or just exercise that you do? Or? Yeah, I, I wish. <laughs> uh, I, I think a big part of it is just observation. I think knowing what I'm doing and being conscious and intentional of what I'm doing helps a lot, you know? So, so, I just published on my site. I just did an, an annual report um, a week ago. Super Friendly turned one. Um, I opened Super Friendly on my birthday last year, uh, and and so this year, you know, it's, it's been one year. And so I published an annual report of like, here's all the hours I spent, and here's how I broke them down by task over the last year, and here's kind of what our cash flow did over the you know over the year, and um, and and so I thought that ninety percent of our business came from came from word of mouth and came from referrals. I knew a big portion of it did. And then when I looked at the, at the actual data, it said 46%. You know, so super friendly, if you go to superfriend.ly, there's nothing there. There's like sort of like this weird blanket statement um, that I like, but doesn't really say much. Um, and then there's no work and there's like, here's what we're working on. It's just this kind of like cryptic text at the bottom and like, hey, hire us. Is that enough for you? You know? Yeah. And that sucks. Um, but I always thought, well, it's it's zero point zero percent of people are contacting us through the site and coming to the site. So who cares about the site? Right. When I looked into it, I realized, oh well, 
you know, 17% of our business this year came from either my, a combination of my website or Dribble or, or uh, the super friendly site, you know, and the super friendly site specifically having no content on it. So it, it made me realize, like, I actually need to pay more attention to this piece of the business because maybe we could win a lot more work this way. Um, but that's not something that I would have known had I not actually looked into it. So I think observation and just kind of realizing what you're doing is a really big part of it. And I think that's why, you know, things like Nike Fuel Band and Fitbit and all of those things are really taking off because I think people are really interested in seeing what they're doing mm-hmm. if it is different than what they thought they were doing. So I think that's really important. Right. Yeah, and so in terms of it's, it's about like making sure you have numbers to go back to. And checking those against those numbers, right? Yeah, I, I think uh, I think Karen McGrain once said that um, data is the new art direction, and I really <laughs> like. I, I try to be conscious about creating as much metadata as I can about myself or my clients, and you know that's kind of the way I approach projects, but it's also the way I, that I approach my agency. So mm-hmm. I, I track time pretty religiously. Um, all the time, whatever I'm doing, I I will be conscious about switching my harvest timer and saying, okay, I'm doing this thing now. So that in a year, I can look back and go, oh, I spent, you know, this much time through email and this much time, you know, listening to podcasts. um, And I can be really conscious about what I need to change or what I need to keep the same. Right. So Harvest is a uh, time tracking tool. It's also like, is is, is that what its main function is? Is this for invoicing clients or... Yeah, I mean, I use it mostly for just the time tracking aspect of it, but it also does a lot of other stuff that I, I don't use it for, um, but I know that are in there. Like, they do invoicing. It's sort of a, you know, it can kind of function as like a mini CRM, you know, something like that. Right. I use it specifically for time tracking because I have other stuff that I use for, for the other things. Okay. What, what other things do you use for to help you run super friendly? Um, so on the accounting side, I use Xero. Um, it's, it's been really, really great for me. Um, it helps me to kind of, have balance sheets and check my accounts payable and accounts receivables pretty regularly, um, tracking invoices, tracking receipts. I also use Shoeboxed, um, and Shoeboxed is, uh, it, it, you know, I can just take a picture of a receipt and it automatically sinks into zero, and then I can kind of reconcile, well, this is, you know, this, this purchase from my bank account statement matches up to this receipt um, and just keep a really nice organized ledger of, of where my money is going mm-hmm. and where it's coming. Um, also, it says, I'm looking at your report. It also says like you have uh, links to uh, Highrise and how, how do you use Highrise and, and what is Highrise for? I know it's a 37 singles uh, kind of app, web app. Cool. Okay, so, so so what is Highrise? Um, Highrise is it, it's a 37 signals tool. It's it's a bit of a mystery to me still. Um, I'm still the jury's still out on on my side about how useful it is, um, but I, I, there are a lot of things that I like about it. Um, so, so we use Basecamp to manage projects that are ongoing. Um, Matt, is my, Matt Cook is my project manager. Um, he works on every project that comes in the door through Superfriendly, uh, and he's in Basecamp a lot, kind of managing day-to-day with our client. Uh, but we kind of needed a similar tool with a little bit of different functionality to manage projects that we don't quite have yet. You know? So um, just kind of knowing you know, how much money is on the table, you know, knowing what each project is worth, um, kind of tracking conversations as they happen about projects, you know, email kind of gets unwieldy at times. So having a, a dedicated place to manage that is what we're, what we're trying out Highrise for. Um, the nice thing about it is that it does give us a really quick snapshot of, you know, we've got six projects that are, that are scheduled to start at the same time. That's going to be a problem. Or, um, you know, here are the things that are, that are 
about to about to hit. So it gives us a really quick and easy way to kind of see what what things are coming up. Um, and so you know, I, I like using it for a lot of reasons. Um, I, I I'm not sure how long I will continue to use it, but for now, it sort of helps to get the job done. Cool, awesome. Um, so I think it's a good good time to just wrap up uh, the conversation. And one thing we always ask our guests is. What are you passionate about? And it seems like you're passionate about a lot of things, which is which is great. But uh, is there one thing that you're really passionate about the industry? That's a good question. Um, I think I think our a lot of the sites that I'm seeing lately are looking the same, and that you know I, I think that is in one way that's really good because it, it means that we're adopting. Uh, Conventions and methodologies and patterns that are kind of proven and tried. So I kind of look at it that way. In, in what way are they the same? Um, I think I think visually, you know, we're sort of seeing trends and and you know our industry is is kind of getting known for for being really trendy. You know, I think if you if you think about the skeuomorphic and the flat debates that are out right now, mm-hmm. you know, things things sway really big at, at this point. Um, and so I think I think you know sites are kind of looking looking very similar because of that. Um, I'd love to see more exploration. Um, and I'm passionate about kind of finding those moments that are really, that are really great in, in a site um, that can help distinguish it. Even, even if they're very small, um, I like kind of seeing those things that make, thing, that make a site or make an app like really memorable. Cool. Awesome. Uh, and how can people find you on Twitter or the websites or Facebook? Uh, yeah, sure. So uh, I'm Daniel Mall on Twitter. Uh, also, DanielMall.com is is where I blog occasionally. You know, where I blog not as much as I should. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and if anybody wants to email me, it's Dan at DanielMall.com. Cool. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, so thanks, much. Dan. It's great talking to you. Thank you. Same here. Our thanks to Dan Mall for joining us on Nonbreaking Space. As always, check out the show notes at nonbreakingspace.tv for all links and sites discussed during the episode. We're also in the iTunes Store podcast section, and we'd really appreciate it if you left a rating or review, which helps us spread the word about the show. Of course, you can follow us on Twitter at NBSPTV, and you can also like us on Facebook.com slash NBSPTV. Thanks for listening, and have a great day.